Welcome back to the Front Row Podcast. Once again, I'm joined with Fionn and Rain. Gentlemen, what a race we just witnessed. That finish was something to behold, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think anybody could have expected uh, what we saw at the end of that race. I mean, the drama, corner four, all that sort of thing. But I presume we'll get into that later on in the podcast absolutely absolutely one thing's for sure though this championship is on an absolute knife edge but first before we talk about the race that just happened we will talk about one that happened a little bit before rain you were watching the f2 races this weekend why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've seen from them races yeah absolutely um i mean i don't know why people don't give formula 2 the time of day like a lot of the um, hardcore F1 fans will never watch an F2 race because that's just beneath them. But what everybody complains about in F1 is the lack of um, overtakes, the lack of drama, that sort of thing. It's very mundane. Formula 2 has everything. We saw a an action-packed weekend from start to finish. Um, feature race 1 with a reverse grid order, had just was bonkers in itself. Liam Lawson took the win Young there. Young Red Bull. Young Red Bull, man. And then in the second race of the day, yesterday, Saturday, uh, we saw Oscar Piastri, someone I've been following for quite a while. I've thought he's been pretty incredible since he's been in Formula 4. Um, Oscar Piastri, brand new to the sport, second day of racing ever in Formula 2, and he gets the win. Unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah. And then late, er, earlier the, today, we saw the feature race of F1, the really big event where the winner of the race gets, I think it's 30 points, whereas or 25 points, whereas the uh, sprint races are worth 15. We saw Guan Yu Zhou qualify on pole. He dropped through the pack at the start of the race. No fault of his own, really. But... Um, yeah, just the way things worked out, he was really far back. He came all the way back through the pack uh, and won it. Uh, Oscar Piastri was also, once again, at the top of the time charts and at the top of the race for a long, long time. But he just had a worse strategy in terms of his tyre performance, let him down at the end. And actually, it was pretty unfortunate to get tangled up with the biggest dickhead on track, uh, Dan Tictum. And he actually ended up going out of the race. Now, I don't think in this case, Dan Tictum was to blame. We did see him get a penalty uh, in the race previously due to taking someone off the track. But yeah, very unfortunate for Piastri. He could have got a second podium of his very short Formula 2 career. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And Liam Lawson also sneaking a podium right at the end in the feature race. Interesting with him he's also racing an indie car this year i believe with alex albon in a few of the events so he should be an interesting one to watch as his career goes on i am stupid i am stupid i switch off everything we will move on to the formula one race uh that just happened uh as we're recording this um, we'll start down at the bottom. Haas had an absolute mare, even more of a mare than we expected them to have. Fionn. Yeah, you know, I think Mazepin well, looks like a complete liability, as we thought he did in in testing. That, by all accounts, commentators and everyone else 
just made a complete mess of that was a turn two and just went shooting off uh the same place by the way that uh we had the accident last year with grosjean only he went off the other direction uh, so I would say there's a few hearts in the mouths when that happened, but I think I think maybe Brogan you're being a little bit harsh only in that of the race, the first race of the season, reliability can be an issue, and so I think it is a small achievement at least that Schumacher managed to finish the race. Uh, he did end up officially 16th. The rest of the guys behind him obviously didn't finish. He was last of the runners, but mm. I think that's a a mild achievement for Haas given how far back the pack they looked. On the preseason, yeah, testing. but you would expect almost after Mazepin spins the very next racing lap, off goes Schumacher in the exact same spot. You would kind of think, okay, th- there's obviously an issue there. There's obviously if I put the power down too early, I'm gonna spin. You'd think there'd be a little bit more caution out of Mick Schumacher. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, guys, I don't think you're giving enough heed to the fact that Mazepin is quickly becoming an embarrassment to the sport this guy is besmirching the name of f1 he's that bad i don't think he spent a full day in an f1 car without turning it the wrong way like that that's it's just wrong that he's sitting in a car next to another rookie when you have the likes of um alex albon or Nico Hulkenberg sitting on the sidelines without a drive for this year. Even some of the other really impressive guys from Formula 2 last year, Robert Schwartzman and uh, Callum Eilat, really, really impressed where Mazepin didn't. I mean, Mazepin, I only read this during the week, he's only had three wins on his career since he started in the Formula Series. And that's just not good enough to be at this level and we're seeing it if this continues it's going to get really old really quick and he's not going to be a popular man on that paddock uh, i think i don't think mazepin uh, yes he's the worst driver on the grid i don't think he's by anywhere near the worst driver we've seen in f1 and even our own short careers there were some brutal miserable drivers and also remember four-time world champ Sebastian Vettel loves sticking his car the wrong way around every so often. In fact, did it in this race as well. He managed to come together with Ocon. We might talk about that later, but he we, literally... We will 100% be moving on to that He literally later, yeah. went blind, said Ocon moved his, moved his line. Why did he do that? And every video replay shows Vettel spearing into the back of him while Ocon's just driving around normally. Fiona, yeah. I challenge you to name a driver's had this bad of a start to their Formula 1 career. It's, it's not possible. You want me to find a Formula One driver who had a DNF in their first career? No, not a DNF. Will have done that. Fionn, we're talking about a guy who spun every day of testing, spun in qualifying and spun in the race. That's just not on for a Formula One driver. Anyway, doesn't matter. We'll move on from that. But my next question about Haas is, like, obviously it's been made very apparent that Mazepin came in to save the team from going bust where did Haas move from here if let's say he is the worst driver f1 has ever seen or at least in recent times where do Haas go from here they can't get rid of him because he is their their paycheck he is their budget what do you do are they stuck now what happens well i think they are stuck now um 
I think they at least need to keep this guy for three years to get the team nice and settled with the new regulations that are coming in next year. And the only source of money that they have is um, that German company, one and one um, who are specifying that they need a German driver and obviously Euro Cali, um, who is owned by Mazepin's dad, keeping them afloat. So I think really the only realistic option for them, unless there's some budding Venezuelan driver who gets the backing of the government, all that oil money, I can't see them moving on from them. I'd say they're happy enough to sit at the back of the grid and if they can get a competitive car for 2022, maybe his inexperience doesn't impact them as much I suppose if they can consistently finish and finish high maybe they uh, they continue on with them for another couple of years but I mean I can't see him being around for more than three years in the sport yeah I think it's worth bearing in mind they are they are they have said has have that they are waiting for these new regulations next year they thought it was coming in this year so I don't think they they've been fairly unapologetic about not developing this car so it's not a surprise it's a shite car even with some drivers. So, yeah, I think they're going to take, spend someone else's money to develop the next year's, next season's car uh, and see what they have there. I don't think they'll have that much of a problem, especially if Schumacher turns out to be a decent driver. They won't be the first team or the last team to have one good driver and one bankroller. So, uh, I think they're actually pretty comfortable where they're at. I don't think anyone's going to get fired based on this year's performance. Uh, before the season mm. has even started. And um, Schumacher actually looked relatively comfortable in that car, uh, barring the start, obviously, where he had the, the big incident. But, I mean, other than that, he's, he kind of looked like he was finding his feet a little bit. So he might be the spark that has need going forward. Yeah, so Fiona, would you be saying that we're kind of overreacting a little bit on the performance of Mazepin and we can't really look into it too much? No, I think he's definitely shite. I don't. I think we can say that for a fact. Uh, worst driver, maybe, maybe not. I mean, ring could be proved true. If I think, I see it is possible that Mazepin could get a DNF in every single race this season. I think that would almost certainly make him the worst driver ever in F1. Uh, are we overreacting to how bad Haas are? No, I think they are that bad. But is it that big a deal? No, I don't think it is. So I think we're we're maybe overreacting a tiny bit in the severity but I think our, our take is fairly legitimate. This is not a good team or a good driver. Fact. Yeah, I take, but I, I think the minimum aim they should be getting to is at least finish a race with both Like drivers. I said, that's that, a good performance from Schumacher. He got around. They, he didn't finish last only through fluke, but Haas have had problems getting two cars to finish. We saw that. Anyone who's watched the Drive to Survive third, season three and season two, you saw that Haas were beginning to struggle and get cars to finish races. So I think it's a good a good sign, at least, that Schumacher managed to get his car around 56 times. That's a good sign. So jumping up a little bit to Williams, uh, it seems maybe a small step, if any step at all, into the right direction. The car definitely seems a little bit more planted, a little bit less uh, kind of erratic on the track, but not quite quick. No, yeah, I think I... that's a fair assess. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh like Russell, he finished ahead of Vettel. I don't actually know what the gaps were. I don't know how much Vettel's 10-second penalty impacted, whether he got put behind Vettel or Russell because of that penalty. But 
I mean, it's worth bearing in mind, essentially of the runners, all Russell beat was Schumacher, who's a rookie in his very first race. So, yes, you're right. A uh, bit worrying Latifi didn't finish as well. I think Williams are definitely in the same bowl as Haas. It's going to be about getting cars to finish. If you stay in the race, you always have a chance of nicking a nice result somewhere. And, and of course, the sponsors like to see that their two cars get mm. run around for 56 laps both. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say Russell is quietly happy. I don't think anyone's ecstatic at Williams, but it was a nice, I think, a nice start for them. They won't be too upset with where they finished. Uh, and Russell sold some pace, at least, at least faster than last year, let's say. And as you mentioned, still not quick by any means, but I think an improvement year on year. Mm. Rian? Yeah, it's, it's hard for Williams to compete in today's day and age with, um, you know, the... the they're almost aggressively independent. Like this whole move to buy in more parts out of Mercedes was really against the grain for them. They never usually do that sort of thing. But as well, they have to deal with the fact that they don't get the sponsors that other teams do. I don't know why Haas is more marketable than Williams, but Williams can't find a uh, a title sponsor or anything like that. You see, the car is pretty much void of any sponsorships and that really hurts your your development. So we mm. know that the engine in the back of the car is strong because other teams around them are doing well with it. So Mercedes obviously are yeah. leading the pack. It's just a case of they need money, they need time to work on their aero, and I don't think they have that at the moment. Now moving forward, maybe with the new regulations in terms of uh, testing time in the wind tunnel, we might see a slow increase of performance from Williams over the next coming years. But until they get that financial influx, I don't know if they're going to ever be competitive. Again, yeah. Brogan, I think it's worth pointing out, it's hard to know these smaller teams' mentality for this season, as we mentioned, with the, the significant rule changes coming in next season and it being pushed on. So this is essentially an extra season they didn't think they had with these cars. So... It's possible that Williams and Haas are just, at the moment, just they just want to work their way through this season. I'd say they're dreading the fact it could be the longest season they've ever had. Uh, and they just want to just put in the time, spend, hemorrhage the least amount of money they can and get into next season where they have a chance of at least resetting everything and try and get closer to that midfield pack. Yeah, for sure. So that was P14 for Russell in the end and a DNF with Latifi classified 18th. I didn't actually see him retire, so I was a bit surprised to see that. But mm -hmm. um, moving on up to a uh, fairly decent running from Alfa Romeo. Kimi Raikkonen, P11. Giovinazzi, P12. Uh, you got a good look at that little fight between Hamilton and Verstappen right at the end there, uh, front row seats. But it seems like improvements being made at Alfa Romeo yeah look I, I text the both of you guys before the race and said my big thing was I'm, I'm I'm a big Ferrari hater like I'm gonna openly say that and this is the only time you'll ever hear me be complimentary to Ferrari they look pretty reliable this year but I will always hate on them and always give them more uh, shit than they actually deserve so don't take it too seriously but with with Alfa Romeo, I, I so yeah, going back to what I was saying, I texted the two of you to say neither of the Ferraris will finish because I didn't trust the reliability of their cars and 
that the Alfa Romeos would score points and my God, were they close to doing that. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen was running in the points for a long time. He was a little bit unfortunate to get caught out by all those speedy guys coming up behind him. You know, uh, I think Perez definitely overtook him and sent him out of the points and um, Science was in around there as well. So yeah, they got a little bit unfortunate today. I think they could have scraped a point or two depending on you know how how high up they finished so but yeah uh, encouraging signs for sure from Alfa Romeo yeah I I tend to agree with Rain here and another thing I was watching as well that I quite worried about is how terrible Alpine were and I think it's possible if Alfa Romeo can keep this kind of momentum going they might have flipped that script and now Alpine are the one that are closer to Williams and Haas and Alfa Romeo are ahead. Now, I don't think they're in touch with uh, Aston Martin and Alfa Tauri, but I think they are in that little gap on their own. And I think they are going to at least have a nice competition with Alpine, if not be Alpine this season. That it has really changed my point of view of, I was obviously as a Ferrari fan, I'm I'm hopeful for a good season at Alfa Romeo as the, as the younger team or the smaller team. Uh, but yeah, I was quite surprised as well at Alpine's struggles. They were not doing very well in this race at all. I'll move on to Alpine in a moment. But first, I'd like to talk about Alpha Tauri. Encouraging signs, maybe not the best result on paper when you look at it. But they can consider themselves unfortunate from a very positive starting position from Gasly. Uh, unfortunately, DNFing with that early retirement due to his uh or not really an early retirement he did retire in the end i didn't see that either but that early wing uh replacement that he needed to have and Tsunoda didn't have a great qualifying session yesterday but he did finish in his in the points the first japanese driver to finish in the points since 2012 so positive start for alpha Tauri. uh could have been better though yeah, look, they were put on the back foot a little bit from the very beginning. Gasly looked like he was keeping up with the pack there for the first half lap before the incident happened. So he got a little bit unfortunate there and never really got back to um to where he should have been. Now, worryingly enough, we saw, obviously, Perez start from the pit lane, which I presume we'll get onto in the future, but... He was able to make his way back up through the pack in, you know, the same engine. Obviously, they have more money in Red Bull to get the car uh, to where it needs to be. But, yeah, I was surprised not to see Gasly move up. Um, But, I mean, we don't know how much damage was actually made to the car. You know, we saw the front wing come off, but we don't necessarily know whether that damaged any of the floor or any of the other aero parts so yeah i think we can really rule out gasly's race sonoda looked very promising after what you said yourself a poor qualifying session he had a few very very nice overtakes i remember uh seeing one particularly down into a hairpin that he just nailed got the angle perfectly he really knows his way around a car he knows overtake on alonso yeah that was yeah yeah exactly turn Um, turn one on alonso beautiful his throttle control and his understanding of the braking is just, it's top notch for a driver who's so young. I think it's unbelievable. He's hes the best to come out of Formula 2 since Max Verstappen. 
I think I'd go even further than where Rain's gone. I lads, I think this is a terrific performance from Sonata. One, it's his first race, scored points. I think that's the first rookie to score points since 2018, I believe the commentary said today. So uh, that's impressive. Stoffel, on its own. Stoffel Van Dorn Stoffel Van was the first one. Stoffel Van Dorn. And then look at the look at the cars ahead of him. The the teams ahead of him. You've got McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he won the midfield race. Like, those four teams are, I think we can all agree, whatever order we want to put them in, we can all agree they're above the rest of the pack. I mean, Science in the Ferrari was 20 set twenty odd seconds down the road from them. So they were kind of, that top race was was well removed. I don't think Sonoda was ever going to catch. Again, I agree with Reen's assessment. I think it'd be interesting to see how Gasly does i think he's definitely going to qualify very strongly all year so maybe if he can keep putting himself up above where they would expect to be above that kind of ninth position that's going to be a win anytime they can finish above ninth i think alpha terry are stealing points and stealing positions and it's a very good performance for them so i think ninth there for sunoda in his first race as far as i'm concerned that's as good as he could have hoped for in his first race and as good as alpha terry should have expected i believe yeah, I mean, he was he was talking about, you know, P8 was his goal for the the session. And, you know, everybody sets a goal that's higher than what they're expecting to get to. So I think, yeah, a very successful race from him. It's the, I mean, that's the interesting thing about looking at these midfield teams. Sometimes we can get attached to these names and look at the lists afterward and go, oh, ninth, I expected them to be higher than that. But then you take a, you take a step back and look at the cars above and you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. You nearly have to split the field in two and look at it as two yeah, separate races. At this Absolutely, Fionn. And like you said, you look at the cars ahead, Sainz, Ricardo, Leclerc, Perez, all these boys. And then obviously the top four in our spot, that's Verstappen, Hamilton. But the, like all of those are very experienced drivers in very quick cars and very prestigious teams. I think ninth, yeah, absolutely. You can look back in that and go, well done, give himself a pat on the back. So Alvatari covered. We'll move on to Alpine. Now, Fionn, you were alluding to it earlier. Doesn't look good for them. They no. they seem to have fallen behind Alvatari for one, and they're now... Even in a battle with Alfa Romeo, it looks like. That's I, that's not where they wanted to be. Completely agree with you. I think it's also worrying that, in my opinion, when Alonso was running, he wasn't doing particularly hot stuff either. I mean, when the when the uh, pit stops started coming in, he did move up the field a little bit. But I think if you take a look at the race as a whole before he retired, I don't think he'd have been happy with the position he was in either. So I think there's real worries and struggles going on in that Alpine team at the moment and in my opinion I think they're under Alfa Romeo at the moment I think they're the third worst team on the grid at the moment yeah we we did see Alonso before he retired he was in that 9 10 11 12 kind of area that's probably not where he expected to be when he signed for Renault Rain. yeah no you're right but I would say put down the pitchforks lads all right this is not end of the world stuff for Alpine um, I think Alonso knew he was coming into a car that would be battling with the midfield now today was a little bit yeah disappointing for them but we saw battling from Alonso when he was out there we saw flashes of good racing and good you know performance from that Alpine car 
a little bit unfortunate to finish where he finished. Um, a lot of the cars around him were able to, you know, um, kind of strategize better than he was because they had two guys in that battle. Uh, Alonso was starting by himself. He really had to, you know, go all in on his pit stop strategy because Ocon was so far back to start with. So I would say, yes, they were disappointing this race, but I would hold off on saying that they're now getting towards the back of the grid because, I mean, if you looked at qualifying, um, where did Alonso start? P9? P8? P9, as far as P- I'm aware. P9. Yeah, P9, and he goes, oh, guys, I could only get another tenth out of that car. I heard the audio uh, coming from him, from his radio. Uh, he said, guys, I only could have managed another uh, tenth or a tenth and a half out of that lap. What were the guys doing ahead of us? And I think there was three guys within one tenth of him uh, in qualifying. So it's not the end of the world. And... Renault traditionally have fared better on some of the more European tracks. So um, the more kind of low downforce, high speed sort of stuff, which is not what Bahrain is realistically. So, you know, so are you, are you calling Alpine season purely on Alonso and Ocon as a write off and basically won't compete at all? No, it sounds I, like... I, I don't, I don't think that I think, uh, Ocon got a little bit unlucky with how he qualified. He got messed up by that yellow flag um, in the session. And, um, I mean, he's not going to finish next to Alonso. Alonso is going to be the clear number one driver for the entire season. But Hmm. they're still going to be in that fight for the midfield, I believe, because they're still there. Like, that midfield battle is so tight now that realistically... Anybody from those guys could finish outside of the top 10. And McLaren, you would not be surprised if they finished outside of the top 10 in this season because we have four teams battling for that midfield slot, two teams ahead. That's too many cars going for the same 10 spots. Listen, I'm not sure I agree with you. I I just don't see any pace from the Alpine car. Like the, the practice sessions, all of them were quite sluggish qualifying p9 i know he said he could only get a tenth out of that car but you have to look at norris's time he was upset he said he could have got a a good bit more out of that car i'm sure ricardo could have felt he got a good bit more out of that car like you just have to look at gasly who was p5 uh that's an upset you would you would say i feel like if he could only get a tenth more out of that car the people around him could have easily gotten at least a tenth more as well so um, to me i don't see the pace and even when he started the race he, he kind of stayed around that area that he started i didn't see him making moves uh, there was that lovely interchange between Reichen or was it uh vettel alonso and Reichen? And science. i think and science. science yeah vettel yeah um and it was amazing to watch but i, I, ju- I just didn't see Anything that would encourage me to believe yeah, that it's, it's, they finish further up the field. It's worth bearing in mind, Brogan, in that exchange, you said Alonso came in as the leader of those three cars and finished it as the last of those three cars. So I he think was that on tells he you. was on tires that were older than he was, and he's an old <laughs> motherfucker. So you can't you can't 
take that as a given as, oh, this is the way they're going to finish all of the time. When we move into the European season, I guarantee Alpine will be scoring points. More points, way more points than Alfa Romeo. They might finish last out of that midfield, but we're not talking about they're in crisis mode. They're going to become part of that backfield battle. But okay, it's worth okay. it's worth remembering, Rain. If we're t- if we're talking about this midfield battle, that's like if you take the top four teams, take them out. That means there's only three points on offer to those midfield teams in every race. And I honestly, I completely disagree with you. I don't think Alpine are going to get any of those this season. They might nick one here on a high attrition, a high attrition, lots of crash race. But I really don't see them. I don't see the pace. I agree with Brogan. The car looks so slippy as well. Even the commentary was talking about it. Alonso's sliding around all over the place. Now, as you mentioned, the, the tyres as well could be an issue there. But it seemed really difficult to drive for a very experienced driver. Listen, it remains to be seen. But we'll move on now up to uh, Aston Martin. So, obviously, uh, a bad weekend got even worse for Sebastian Vettel bizarre crash towards the end of the race Ocon overtaking him and he just careered into the back of him and then blamed Ocon on the radio now as far as I'm aware I think he went and apologized to Ocon obviously someone had a word in his ear said listen that's that's not that's not his fault that's on you buddy but uh it's not what you'd expect to see from a four-time world champion one of the most experienced drivers on the grid well, I mean, it is what I expected to see out of a four-time world champion. Uh, it's what I predicted at the start of the season. I said Vettel would struggle in this car and Stroll would be the by far and away the better driver of the Aston Martin, at least for the first half of the season. And then Vettel would close up the gap a little bit. So I think we can say right off the bat that my hot take and predictions have been proven completely correct. And uh, we should just take my word as gospel from now on. What the f***? Unacceptable. I cannot believe I... Rain. <laughs> no. Give up. just give up. Like, okay, yes, really bad weekend for Sebastian Vettel. And to hear him come out and say that incident was Ocon's fault was just bizarre. But what you kind of need to remember is these guys are doing this stuff at 200 kilometers an hour. Like, the, the, the reaction time there for him to go, oh, that's his fault. It's split seconds. We can watch it all in nice slow motion after it happens and go, oh yeah, that's fine. Uh, that was, Ocon was in the right, he was in the wrong, but it's not that easy when you're going 180, 200 kilometers an hour down the road. Now, another thing was, Vettel was on the back foot from the very beginning simply because he got messed up with the yellow flag um, at the start of uh, Q1. No, at the end of Q1. Um, then got the penalty again after that because of the double wave of the yellows. I don't think that was too bad considering I know he finished behind Russell, but where he was, he had to go to an alternate strategy where he was going long on the hard tires. I don't think he did too badly. Um, and as well, I mean, if you're to believe Otmar Safnauer, these rule changes <laughs> specifically targeted, uh, Racing Point or Aston Martin to make them slower. I mean, like you heard the commentators saying, if you had asked Otmar Safnauer what he had for breakfast, he would have brought up the rule changes and how they affect uh, Aston Martin. So, yeah, I think that's something that Aston Martin are going to need to 
learn about going forward, uh, maybe figure out a way to to get competitive again, because, I mean, we saw Mercedes were competitive this weekend. So, obviously, there is a way of running low rake and be competitive, uh, and I think they just need to find that. So, I wouldn't say it's all bad news for Sebastian Vettel. I don't think you can say, oh, from this one race alone, uh, Stroll is God, Vettel is pants, let's move on, Fionn is <laughs> smarter than me. Um, yeah, we'll have to see moving forward. Uh, yeah. Can we can we clip that bit, Brogan, just where Rian says Fiona's smarter than me out of context and just have that? And instead instead of like, uh, what's the Ferrari one or the thing where like, he is faster than you. Just have Rian going, Fiona is smarter than me. Okay, so. Fiona is smarter than me. Can you confirm you understood that message? No, but I think look, there's a the broken. There's a reason they call it race driver excuses, and Safnauer is the same. He's like, oh, they made the rules to make us specifically slower, and then Mercedes run essentially the same car and win the race, like and win the race, yeah, fam, you're slow, like get over it. I think, I think to be honest, I heard that Ocon talked to Vettel before the race and asked him to show him how to do a spinny, and then Vettel was just helping him do it. <laughs> That's yeah, maybe, maybe so, uh, but. So that was Vettel P15. Fionn, your boyfriend Lance Stroll in 10th. What did you yeah. make of his performance today? Uh, pretty strong. I think he'll be a little bit upset. I think he's in that, there in that zone with Alpha Tauri. So obviously he'd have wanted to finish ninth. I think that's the highest those teams should be, should be aiming for. Uh, and yeah, I think he's also going to be a little bit nervous of the Alfa Romeo pace as well. Especially because he's going to suffer like the same problem that Rain said for Alonso, where if your teammate is going to be shy all season, you're you're racing on your own and you don't have that that ability to change tactics and force other teams to react to you. Uh, he might have that same problem with with Vel. I mean, look, guys, I really don't think Stroll is a god of driving. I'm just I'm pointing out. I think that's a pretty <laughs> strong race. I don't. I think that's a fairly nice result from, and I'd like to see you guys tell me why it's not. Like, wh- how much further up the grid do you think he should have finished? I I never said that. I never said anything about his result here. The one who's talking about it, and we all know you fancy Lance Stroll, <laughs> but I mean, he's got forgot. a lot of money, so like <laughs> money bags, sugar, um, sugar daddy, sugar, sugar daddy, sugar. <laughs> But I actually forgot to talk about Ferrari, so not a bad result for them. Leclerc P6, even though he started P4, maybe a little bit disappointing for him. Rain, you were talking about, uh, I know to us earlier, a little bit about how you thought he would get eaten up being starting on the the soft tyre. Yeah, I mean, uh, when, I, when I made that point, I didn't realise everyone around him was starting on soft as well. <laughs> so I thought there was guys on mediums who would, would go further into the race. and uh, mm. yeah, no, that, That's fair enough. But it, it is a P6 and he, he got taken by uh, Norris quite early, despite like he, he took Bottas initially, which was quite mm-hmm. impressive uh, in the opening lap of the race. But then fairly quickly, Norris ate him up and, and pulled away. And uh, towards the end there, Perez caught him. So P6, disappointing or happy considering the season they had last year? So for me as the Ferrari fan, uh, I have to give credit to Rain and his, and his McLaren. They looked quick. I think we were right in calling it those two teams 
to be in the top four. I think they're very close together. Based on the science Ricardo time, I think uh, that's a very close race. I would like to see science have finished ahead of Ricardo. He couldn't get that done, but he's new to the car. Uh, and we've seen these new new guys, like both of these guys who are new to their teams, much slower than their teammates. For me, the worrying thing is how much faster Norris was than Leclerc, how much further down the road. I wouldn't be worried about Perez. I think it's clear Red Bull is faster than both Ferrari and McLaren this season. I'm not that worried about that. Uh, so for me, it's worrying how much Norris was faster ahead. I am crossing my fingers to say, look, Norris just got a bit of clean air. He's a good driver and he pulled a gap and kind of drove around on his own for a while. And that maybe the, the time between the two teams is not as big. So I'm hopeful it's much more like Ricardo Sainz in terms of Leclerc and Norris mm. than it is the other way around. So right. uh, I'm a little disappointed. I'd, like I said, I'd like to see Sainz beat Ricardo, which he didn't manage. And I would like to see Leclerc be much closer to Norris. So Ryan, the self-reclaimed Ferrari hater, how did you assess their performance today? Yeah, look, this might be my irrationality coming out again, but it seems pretty rational to me. Um, this is a bad race weekend for Ferrari. The Both drivers lost positions. <laughs> and uh, Brogan's making faces at me. But it's, the first it time, it's the first time Ferrari scored both right. cars in the points since like midway through last season. It's a great result for Ferrari. Now, is it a yeah. good result overall? But I don't if know. You were, if you were to believe postman Patti Abonato, um <laughs> he... He was saying this team would be back where they used to be uh, contending yeah. for titles. They did not have that yeah. pace. And fat boy Zach Brown said they were going to catch Mercedes. But, well, listen, Zach Brown says a lot of things. He I don't says think... a lot of things. What did he say? Verstappen to Mercedes, even though Verstappen and Russell. Contract. Verstappen and... and Russell will be the 2022 driver lineup for Mercedes. And he said he'd never give Hamilton a seat. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, because he's looking to the future and not... Yeah. Anyway, so y- you weren't impressed with Ferrari Ryan, despite them finishing 5th and 8th. 5th and 8th, yeah. Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I really thought that... Um, I, I and and o- only finishing 1 second. Signs only finishing 1 second behind Ricardo. Yeah, but Ricardo actually... We'll, we'll probably get on to it but Ricardo got really unlucky throughout that whole race um, no he genuinely <laughs> did look, look I'll wait I'll wait I'll wait the until kangaroo, we... listen actually let's right out let's move on we'll move on because uh, McLaren were next up anyway so talk to me about Ricardo Rain. how was he so unlucky but Sainz was dramatically lucky to get into one second behind him well my my point here is a lot uh, a lot happened around the pit stops today, right? So we had more pit stops than we usually see. We love a good two stopper, but mm. both times Ricardo managed to get himself behind another car. So Stroll came out ahead of him between himself and Leclerc in the first gap, and then in the second uh, window. I think it was Alonso came out between him and Leclerc. Now, at the time of the first window, Ricardo was putting the pressure on Leclerc. I was I was getting ready to send that text to Fionn. Ha ha, Fionn, <laughs> you big stupid bastard. McLaren are way better than Ferrari. Now, I think we kind of saw that today anyway. But 
we were looking at two two McLarens going by Leclerc in relatively short amount of time, and really the yeah just the the pit stops got in the way of Ricardo both times. He got held up behind these drivers, and that allowed Sainz to get back close to him at the end of the race. I don't really know how it finished. Like the the coverage was basically for the last quarter of the race down to let's see how mm. close Verstappen gets to Hamilton. So I didn't really see it. I think Ricardo might have been struggling with tires at the end of the race, and that's why Sainz got so close to him. Um, he Ricardo was also trying to hold up guys as well, so as Norris would be safe in fourth place. Um. <laughs> So he literally, yeah. Perez literally came up to him and was like, whoop, and went Pere- straight past him. <laughs> Perez, Perez Leclerc has a held up, much Leclerc held better up Perez car. Much better than Ricardo did. Perez has a much better car. Like, it's it's yeah. faster on the straight, Leclerc held faster in the corner. Ricardo just let him shoot by him. <laughs> I think so. what Rain is arguing for, essentially, is the FIA should ban pit stops <laughs> and... McLaren should not have to think about where their cars come out, and it's completely unfair to expect Ricardo to have no, to. No, but that, that's re- what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Maybe the strategy wasn't there for McLaren, but if they nail that down, they're going to finish ahead of McLaren. Or, they're going to finish ahead of Ferrari in every race. Okay, so I have a scenario for you, Rain. In the early parts of the race, we seen, uh, just after Bottas had re-overtaken Leclerc. There was a period of yeah, overtook yeah. once again, re-overtaken. <laughs> uh, Leclerc, Leclerc. It was it was Leclerc, Norris, Ricardo. Right. Norris made absolutely light work of Leclerc. Got around him very quickly and stormed off into the sunset. Mm. Ricardo made a dog's dinner of Leclerc and didn't manage to get by him whatsoever. Is it teething problems or is Norris? May are you are you refuting your claims that Ricardo might be might be out Norris for the year? I would say teething problems one hundred percent. No one's looking at Ricardo going. Oh, he might have lost his edge. I, I don't. I don't. Okay, think that's I, I would focus less on Ricardo being poor than Norris being a very good driver. Yeah, Norris like, has surprised me this year. He's really actually. He's he take took a big step forward last year, and I think he's taken another. I wasn't expecting him to take a huge step forward this year. You know, like it it doesn't happen year on year that people take big steps forward. But it seems Norris has done that. He's actually deserving of that seat beside Ricardo in a 100%. team that could be challenging for a title if they got their crap together in the next couple of years. He's the guy to do it. I think now. Um, but yeah, I still think Ricardo, he's got that experience. Like, he's 10 years in the sport. He's going to come out on top. He's going to learn how that car works. And he just has better racecraft than Norris. That's no slight on Norris. Norris is a very good racing driver. It's just Ricardo has the experience right now. Fionn, from what you've seen, have you changed your mind on maybe how that battle's going to come out? No, I think it's definitely... I always considered it to be tight because I, I picked Ferrari as a Ferrari fan, but I always knew it was the other two. I think you guys much more thought McLaren would be much further down the road than Ferrari mm. this season based off last season. So for me, it's not it's not a surprise how tight it is. Uh, I think it's worth bearing in mind that Leclerc is much was much quicker than Ricardo towards the end of the race, right? We've kind of split it in two. 
and said Ricardo was racing Sainz and Norris was racing Leclerc. And that's fair. But also we're bearing in mind that the second Ferrari was a lot quicker than Sainz's Ferrari. So, like, I think there is a good bit of pace in uh, in the Ferrari car. And I think of the same teething problems that Rean has given to Ricardo. I think it's fair to give to Sainz as well. Now, I'm not so sure how quick a driver he is. I'm not as convinced as Rain is. I think that could be how McLaren pip Ferrari to third place. I think if, if Ricardo can outperform Sainz, I believe Leclerc is good enough and there'll be enough races during the season that he'll have a chance to finish ahead of Norris. But I think it'll be much easier for Ricardo to beat out Sainz. So uh, I'm happy with the start. I think it will be a tough battle and it's a battle I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching much more than the, than the top. I think not only just because it's between me and Rain, but also <laughs> the two teams seem fairly evenly matched. You know what I mean? Even even with Norris's finish, there's what? Six points in the constructors between the two teams, even with how everyone finished today. So I think that's going to be interesting and a lot of fun to watch over the course of the season. Six yeah, points. Every race gets to uh, like a funny level of... Yeah, and no points yeah. every race equals zero. So if we want to play the theoretical game, Matt's goes every direction. <laughs> anyway, moving on to Red Bull. And we'll start with Sergio Perez. Another remarkable performance in Bahrain for him. Roaring up through the field from last. Didn't quite win it this time, but very impressive to finish fifth. And uh, not a million miles behind Norris either. Yeah, people were talking about it. the commentators were certainly talking about that this guy could put pressure on uh, fourth place in this race. And I mean, like, if I was Red Bull, seeing his performance coming from um, the back of the grid, I would be laughing, you know, because mm. once again, we saw Max Verstappen have to do his own thing in terms of strategy. You can't cover anything off, can't cover off the undercut if you only have one driver. Um, so if Perez can qualify consistently, he's going to be a really, really good wingman for Max Verstappen. And I think that could really play into a big, big title push uh, for Red Bull this season. I think Red Bull should make Perez qualify on the ultra hards every week and let him start from the back, because he seems to be able to do that whopper. He did that for the last race with uh, Racing Point as well, so maybe that's a little trick, or conspiracy theory. He stopped the car on purpose to finish last so that he could do it all again. Someone put a bet on him that he couldn't do it twice, and he was like, bet on. Uh, I think Red Bull, to be honest with you, are going to be a little bit disappointed. I think I think they and Verstappen bottled this race, to be honest with you. Ooh, bottled? Yeah, yeah I think he bottled it. I think he should have been up on Hamilton earlier. I think he, when he got in, he had one chance to get by him. And after that, he never got back in touch. He let Hamilton put about seven hundredths on him and, or seven tenths on him. And he never closed that gap much, much closer than that. I think it's a real disappointment for Verstappen that he didn't win that race. So you're saying that this is a poor performance from Red Bull rather than some brilliant strategy from Mercedes? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it was a good strategy from Red Bull. I think they need to be on their strategy to compete with Mercedes. That's another thing Mercedes have very well as their strategy. But what I'm saying is Verstappen got to a point where he could, he had three or four laps and could have had six laps if, I mean, I don't know enough about the, 
the technical details about keeping the tires and stuff, but certainly uh, some predictors on the on the AWS suggested that he should have six laps nearly to try and overtake Hamilton, and he didn't. He really only had three, and even in those three, only had one good shot. And after he let Hamilton back through, never got back in touch. And so I put most of the blame on Verstappen's driving there. I don't, I don't think that Hamilton or Mercedes's strategy is the reason that they won this race. I think Verstappen had an amazing chance to beat them anyway, and he couldn't get it done. Rain. Yeah, look, I'll start by saying Mercedes strategy gods. No, uh, it's pretty easy actually to do this sort of thing when you have two drivers up there. You can hedge your bets a little bit versus um, the other guy in that three-person battle. Um, I would also say that Verstappen didn't bottle this race. The stewards did. The, the whole incident around turn four, uh, we saw Hamilton go miles wide. He was making up his own race track. He was going off-road most of the time um, on the exit of turn four. And the stewards were letting him away with it, saying he wasn't gaining an advantage. But if he wasn't gaining an advantage, why was he out there every single lap? He didn't go, oops, made a mistake again, and got out onto the um, onto the relief road each and every time. He had to have been gaining an advantage there. And then, as the Red Bull commentary came through, or not commentary, um, radio came through to say, look, Hamilton is doing this. He's getting wide on turn four. Um, you can consider doing this if you want to. Uh, at that point, the stewards go, actually, do you know what? Stop doing that. Uh, Hamilton, you're a bald boy. Uh, you've done it twice now. Don't do it again or we'll give you a penalty. He hadn't done it twice. He'd done it 27 times by the time they sent that message in. It's just not right. This rule... This rule about track limits is very, very black and white. There's lines on the racetrack and you need to keep all of your, or not all of your tyres, at least one tyre inside of that paint at all times. Barring, you know, certain circumstances. But that's more to do with like avoiding cars and that sort of thing. Hamilton was out by himself in front and he was still going wide each and every time. And the stewards did nothing for half a race. And he was allowed away with this. He was clearly gaining an advantage. And I think that benefited him towards the end of the race. Um, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying in that yeah, it shouldn't have been allowed from the very get-go. But I've also seen people say, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I just think it shouldn't be allowed from the very beginning. It, like, I, I always hear Martin Brundle say, just have... The white lines. Don't do this while we're looking at track limits for certain corners. Just all, all every corner, every piece of track, stay on the white line or stay within the white line. One wheel. That's all you need. Done. No disputing. If you're outside it, you get a warning. And I would say that in in this sense, listen. I don't think you. Yeah, they probably blame the the stewards. He can't blame Hamilton. He wasn't. He there was a misunderstanding on, as I understand it, that he thought there was no track limits there, uh. So, do it if you want, but it's bizarre that they didn't catch on to it quicker. 
Yeah, but even then, after this news came through that actually there is track limits here, stop going wide, when Verstappen got really close to him, both guys were going out beyond the track limits on a lot of laps and nobody got that black and white flag waved at them. Nobody got a wave at them. And I think it's just something that really needs to be looked at in the sport because it kind of ruins it a little bit. Like, clearly the faster line was out beyond the track limits at that point. And that was the one that Hamilton was taking. And really, if you're Verstappen following, you need to take the same line as him. You're not going to take the slower line through that corner. So it, it really does kind of... I wouldn't say ruin the race, but it certainly sours the experience. It it, mm. it felt like Verstappen lost out a little bit because of this rule, and he really could have won that race if it wasn't mm. for the um the yeah turn four track limit rule. Yeah, maybe maybe Fion, what's your take? Yeah, I think I think uh, I agree with Rain. It's a rule. It should be there. It should be enforced on every. I don't understand why it can't be enforced on every turn, every straight, every line. Like the circuit is the circuit. I don't know why they why they let it go on. Uh, the one thing I would say is I'm pretty sure uh, Verstappen was as guilty as Hamilton of consistently and blatantly taking advantage of that extra wide line through turn four that that uh, was in response to hamilton you heard him on the radio saying well is legal? lewis isn't doing it so take the as as wide was as that during need. the race or only in the last bit when he was chasing him because i'm pretty was, sure this is before the ruling five laps in or something he they, okay. they got on to him to say and then trier this line Maybe okay. five laps later, Lewis was told on the radio, don't do it anymore. Because do okay. they told us not to. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, personally, I put more blame on Verstappen just for the, the way the race ended. But absolutely agree with Rian that this is a, a problem, whether or not it had an effect on this race. It has an effect throughout the race at every point. Like you said, if, if Hamilton's using this throughout the race he's not just gaining an advantage just when someone's chasing him he's taking that time off every single lap and that yeah. in the end is building a gap so like on it was every only... circuit i think it's a problem and it should be fixed so yeah like it was only seven tenths in the between hamilton and verstappen in the end who's to say that the times he went out there he didn't gain up that seven tenths you, you just don't know well, this was the this was the first sector where Hamilton was consistently faster than Verstappen, and that has to play into it a little bit. Mm. He yeah. was a tenth yeah. faster each lap going through that sector, and who's to say he didn't gain that tenth of a second on turn four? Listen, and it's something that happens every year at Bahrain. I don't know why they don't like it was policed last year why didn't they police it this year i don't understand anyway we'll move on final uh we've already sort of talked about mercedes but we'll just touch on valtteri bottas and he had a kind of typical valtteri bottas race this week didn't he yep pants as usual he's just (laughs) awful well listen he he did have a 10 second pit stop which wasn't his fault and it did take a lot of his options out of the race so at that stage you're just cruising around and making sure norris doesn't catch you and i know he he also pitted at the end to get the fastest lap so that explains the the what was it 37 second gap there was a pit stop and a butchered pit stop in the middle so i I don't think it was reading it wasn't it 
reading it on that, like reading it on paper, it looks bad, but I don't think it was quite as bad. Like it was within kind of three seconds of Verstappen for most of the race. Well, he wasn't though. Like he was six or seven seconds behind when he made that pit stop. And I, I just, I, there's something wrong with his mentality. He's not a winner. He's just not a winner. He doesn't want to go and get that win. Even when he was told on the radio, oh, you know, things might get hairy ahead. So just stay on it. He didn't see his lap times improving. He just kind of stayed there tipping around. He's not a winner. He's not a Mercedes driver. Get him out of there for next season. He certainly doesn't get the same out of the car as Hamilton. I can say that for sure. Uh, It's difficult because I think, I think, Mercedes are happy enough to have him there. Like he's never going to challenge Hamilton. He like they can give him all the benefits he wants, and he's not just not quick enough. So they can kind of keep him happy by giving him all these benefits and know that his talent level just isn't there. But then again, he does. He also does exactly what they want because he's still like even with all that messing, he's still ten seconds down the road from fourth, and that's what he does. Right? He's this bridge between the top two go flying off. He sits just close enough that they can't go Verstappen messing with his pit stops. And, like, that's pretty much all he does. He's He doesn't have, like Rian says, he doesn't have that extra pace. He doesn't have that X factor. But I think Mercedes are like, Grant, we don't actually want them. We, we kind of want them to be exactly where he is. And if that's literally as good as he can be, even better. Because we can give him all these benefits and put him on top strategies if he wants. But he's still going to end up third behind the other two. And as long as it doesn't mess up Hamilton too much, we're happy enough. Every time I watch him, I'm always thinking, when does pride kick in? When do you go, no, I have had enough of being this, you know, blocker for Lewis Hamilton, blocker for the main man. If you're going to Mercedes, you should see yourself as a world title contender and i know he says it every year he goes now this year is my year i'm not being nicey nicey i'm valtteri fuck you bottas but he doesn't he says that thing off track but the attitude does not match on track when does the pride kick in and i don't think it ever will i think they just need to move on get esteban ocon in the car <laughs> yeah in- interesting take anyway did i send it or did i not did it send it yeah you send oh it. send it We've talked about this Grand Prix. We're going to move on and finish out the podcast talking about the next Grand Prix, which is Imola, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. First European Grand Prix. Alpine 1-2, we're in. I was about to say, Alpine guaranteed win. It's a European GP. Not quite, but certainly in the points, both drivers, you can put your house on it. Okay, Fionn, what, what, what's your predictions for the next race in uh, I'm going to take Rian's. I'm going to take Rian's house. That's my prediction. I don't think either Alpine gets in the points. <laughs> no Alpines in the points. Two Alpines in the points. I'll split. I'll say one Alpine in the points. Uh, so what about what? What are we saying about this? Uh, is the, is the midfield too close to call? No, I no. think Alpha Terry <laughs> is going to win it. Alpha Terry. No. Uh, also, yeah. also no. Also no. My my hot take is watch this to be reversed. It's going to be Ferrari McLaren. Ferrari McLaren. Oh, that'll be a good result for Ferrari. Although that'd be an excellent and the home race. The Ferraris in the last in the last few years, the Ferraris have been so good when racing in Italy. So uh, yeah, hundred percent, Fion. Green would say, "What P four Leclerc? Why didn't he get P 2 
Anyway, uh, thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, that's it. We there's actually a bit of a gap until the the Grand Prix in Imola. It's about it's the end of April or something. So I don't know what we'll be doing in the meantime. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining me, and we'll see you next time. Feel so smooth, I'm always running with emotion Make the little girl